0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, as a university student, I was on a date with a girl walking through the mall, which even as I say that right now, it makes me cringe. (laughs) Clearly, I was a freshman. And we came across a bookstore that had one of these things called a magic eye. Now, I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about, It where you see an image like this. And this girl that I was with notes that, oh, I love these things. I love these magic eyes. And she stops, and she starts looking, okay? And, and maybe not just looking, staring, like big eyes, kind of leaning in. And I'm like, well, what in the world is going on here? I mean, I grew up in Port Angeles, Washington, out there on the peninsula, and magic eye had not yet made it there. <laughs> and and so she's she's looking at this thing and maybe i'm at this point a little bit jealous that she's not spending, you know, more time looking at me but then you know she she kind of leans back and she's like mm, it's a witch and i'm like what you know so so maybe you guys know these magic eyes are these 3d images that if you look at it long enough or if you you do something then you can you can see the image behind the image And generously, she started coaching me. She's like, okay, relax your eyes, relax your eyes. You've almost got to make them blurry. And I'm, I'm going, okay, okay. They're, they're blurry. They're blurry. And I still don't see the witch, right? So it, it was, it was one of those experiences where I just could not figure out how to get my eyes right in order to, to see beyond just the original image. Well, this morning we come to, we continue a series that George got us started in a few weeks ago, where we're really asking questions about discipleship. We're asking questions about what does it look like to, to look at and learn from the life of Jesus so that we can emulate Jesus' life in our own life. It's, it's, it's just noting that we are a people in process. We don't have it figured out, uh, and yet we, we have hope. And so the elders discerned these six markers that they that are really the things that we could look at that, that give a little bit of form to this, that gives us a little measurement. And today we're going to be talking about this idea of engaging in mission. And as we do, we want to reflect on the text that Suzanne read for us a little bit earlier out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it, it seems that for the Apostle Paul, as he talks to this church that he helped out in ancient Corinth, that part of this process is really adjusting one's eyes, looking differently, seeing differently uh, than than merely the world around us. And so that's what we're going to do this this morning. And and to do that, I, I want to remind us a little bit about the interesting place that this city Corinth was. It was a bustling and politi- politically important Roman province. That by the time that Paul was writing this this letter to. To Christian communities likely across Corinth that he had helped uh, launch in the first century, Corinth was a city where there were artists and philosophers and orators that were flocking to the city, seeking patronage and and wealth and fame and, and just the things that would have come uh, that, that would have come along uh, with with being a sage with being famous in the first century and in in that time. The, the spoken word and getting up in front of people to make your case was really the primary media of the day in, in the, the days before newspapers and thumbs up on Facebook and hearts in the middle of, of Instagram. This was, this was the, if you were going to go viral, this was the way that you were going to do it. And so it was, when it came to speaking, when it came to these people that were, that were really, uh, in Corinth, competing for attention, there was a profound importance on delivery and posture and voice and stage presence. Those were things that mattered as people made decisions as if they were going to listen and follow. Historians tell us that these competitions between these, these philosophers and, and teachers would often become very divisive as they would ridicule each other. One historian notes, these crowds cheered their favorites like modern Americans cheer their favorite ball teams. <laughs> Go dogs. Let's just get that out of the way right now. It seems well before us, people were asking the question of, does it pass the eye test? They were asking the question, does this sound familiar? Do they look presidential? Well, in this context... The Apostle Paul uh, says, and I imagine in a way that is not all that spectacular, perhaps it was even a bit clumsy, he invites these communities that he helped launch to take a different look, to look again, to look beyond, to get their eyes adjusted. Now, it may sound like a pretty straightforward idea, but we know that getting our eyes adjusted is often a very clumsy process. How many of us in here have ever been to the eye doctor? Okay. A lot of us. If, if you haven't, hey, you're in for a real treat. Okay. Here's the first part I can tell you is that part of going to the eye doctor is that they put this big apparatus right in front of your eyes, kind of on your face, unlike anything that's ever been in front of my eyes or on my face. And then they say, all right, look into this and read the lowest line you can. And so, you know, you kind of go, all right, look in there and you, and it ends up kind of turning into more of a question in some ways. You're like, um a e f g s <laughs> and often you get relatively little feedback on if you are right or not the process of adjusting our eyes and straightening out our vision uh, can be very very clumsy That's what we're gonna, uh, what I want to reflect on a little bit in the rest of our time. Uh, And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5. And if you want to keep your Bibles open to page 940 in those black Bibles that are in front of you. But as I riff on this passage, I'm going to do so from the message. And if you're in a small group that is, that is studying these sermons and the passages that we're covering, I want to encourage you this week, or whenever you do that, to look at this text in the message because I think it's a beautiful translation of of what this text is really leaning into. So the message translates Second Corinthians five, starting at verse sixteen, like this. I'm just going to read a few verses. Because of this decision, the decision of Jesus that God makes in Jesus, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at, that, at him that way anymore. Now, Paul seems to be challenging the notion that by looking at Jesus by merely our cultural desires and expectations, we cannot get an accurate picture of Jesus. We tried to do that once and we got it wrong. But by association, he then says, if, if those are the same lenses by which we look at each other, we're also destined to get it wrong. For me, it it calls to mind the prophecy in Isaiah 53, these, these words about the suffering servant. It says this. Again, these are words from the message, Isaiah 53. It says, The servant grew up before God a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. In fact, he was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand, One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. The servant songs begin by drawing attention to the messiness of life. And by essentially saying it is that messiness in which we will see the Messiah. Instead of people reclining back and and watching or looking for a a, a Messiah that, that we would go, oh, that's awesome. That's spectacular. This prophecy from Isaiah says, no, it's actually gonna be more of leaning in and maybe squinting, maybe resisting the idea to turn your head, but maybe turning away and looking at the mess and going, what is that? the very place that we're tempted to look over and turn away, that is where the Messiah is at. Are we willing to turn toward the mess? With the amazing group of ministers that I get to work with here at UPC, uh, but in the department that I work most closely with, University Ministries, one of the ways that we encourage each other when the job seems a little bit overwhelming is we'll look at each other and say, ministry is a mess If there is no mess, there is no ministry. Over the past year, some of you are familiar with a notorious homeless encampment under Interstate 5 south of downtown called The Jungle. Recently, it's been cleared up and cleaned out, primarily through the tireless efforts of staff and volunteers at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Some of you had a chance at 1122 and at our Faith and Citizenship Forum to hear Brian Chandler one of, the, one of the directors at UGM, talk about walking into this mess and seeing the people who were there. And in so doing, these workers were able to see hope where apparently all that was there was hopelessness. And on the flip side of of clearing out more than 300, unfortunately, there aren't more than 300 stories of of redemption and and recovery, but there are these amazing stories that we otherwise wouldn't have heard if people weren't looking at the mess and then leaning into it. Are we willing to look at the mess and then lean into it? But far be it this as something that is just out there. I know that in in my own life, as someone who is privileged, Uh, For example, to live in a home that is warm, safe, and dry. It's usually easier for me to, to look at and talk about the mess that is beyond, say, the walls of my house, and far more difficult for me to engage the mess that is often me, the mess that is the state of my own soul. And yet when I confront that mess in my own life, often what I see is that God has done more work than I tend to to give God credit for. God has done stuff in my life that I have simply forgot about, or maybe it's even work that I would have preferred him not to do. I'm reminded of how God wants to work even in my life, even in your life, in our community, in ways that I'm often desensitized to. And so Paul is reminding these young Christians at Corinth to see the world differently in light of a different type of God than the patron deities of Corinth that they would have otherwise been used to. All right, next, Paul challenges the lenses of competition and division, and it encourages this community to trade them for the lenses of relationship and unity. Continuing again from the message in 2 Corinthians 5, it says this. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, the new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins. This fancy word, reconciliation, I love the way it's translated here. It's a settled relationship between us and God. That's a reconciled relationship, a settled relationship. In a culture where the system that culture being Corinth, was deeply tied to optics. How does it all look? Are you worthy to be followed? Or do you look like one who is saved? Have you passed the eye test? The invitation that the that the Apostle Paul gives is to look again and replace the lenses of competition and comparison with the lenses of relationship. It It could sound pretty trite. Let's go back to the eye doctor. As that exam continues, that same apparatus that is in front of your head, you inevitably, you get to this place where the doctor leans down and starts going, all right, tell me which is better. One, two. One, two. One, two. And again, you're going... I don't know if I'm going to get the right answer, too. (laughs) In some ways, it feels like that's the endeavor that we're at, that instead of seeing people as something to be dominated, as something to defeat, the invitation of this text is to see people as those to be in relationship with that are more like you than different. I have a hunch I'm not speaking only for myself when I say that I've experienced this political season to be the most divisive of my lifetime. It seems that so often one of the strategies in forums that I imagine to be a lot like uh, ancient Corinth are to dehumanize the opposition. As many of you know, I'm a big sports fan, probably too much in a lot of cases, and I am no doubt uh, guilty at times of being jealous or offended or angry at other fans, and in so doing, I turn them into monsters that are, are, if they're human, they're barely so. Now, that is a real but admittedly lighthearted example of what I think we tend to do with individuals or groups that we become upset with. We hear people in opposite political parties dehumanizing each other. Well, what is us? What does it look like for us to look at those, those people opposite of us with the lenses of relationship, of renewal, of unity, instead of the lenses of competition and fear? At UPC, we have been trying to earnestly have a conversation about this type of reconciliation between cultures and ethnicities, and no doubt part of that process is breaking down the, the thoughts that we have about those different individuals and people groups that were formed outside of relationship. The invitation is to form them within relationship. So lenses that turn us towards the mess, lenses that trade out competition for relationship. And now uh, there is this sense of now that we can see let's move on this sense of mission with a sense of purpose. Again, from the message uh, towards the end of the passage that Suzanne read, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. Listen to this good news right here. He's already a friend with you. Maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Be friends with God. He's already a friend with you. That's the good news of the gospel. You see, the invitation is to be Christ's ambassadors. And being Christ's ambassador, I would, I would say is simply this. It's knowing the good news, knowing the good news. And in this text, we've already been given a clue about what that good news is. It's about relationship. It's about renewal. It's about the forgiveness of sins. It's right in front of this. What's the gospel that you know? That with your life, be it in action, uh, perhaps it's also in words, what's the gospel you're communicating? What's the good news? And then living with mission is just, is, is, knowing what that good news is, and then simply participating in that. That's what mission is. What's the good news that we also get to participate in? Now, a convenient excuse here is, as we look at, at what the Apostle Paul is leading us to in talking about, we want to look at things not from a worldly point of view. We want to change our vision. One of the most convenient excuses to not engage in mission to not engage in service is, well, I'm not doing it for the right reasons. I'm not sure that I have developed the correct vision to be able to move into that type of service, whatever that type may be. And what I want us to remember this morning, perhaps even challenge us with, is, is let's not wait. Let's not wait to get our vision totally right. Because it might actually be that in service... That in-mission is the very place that our vision might be refined. You know, for 65 years, this church has sent university students to serve in places across the globe. Many of you in this room, I'm, I'm sure, have been, have participated on this program that we call World Deputation, where university students go out for two months and serve someplace in the world. I got to go in 1998 to Haiti. Uh, Some of you know Ray and Sandra Vanderpool, who were sitting in the sixth row here at the 830 service, and I went to spend two months in Haiti in 1998, and I'm here to tell you that it wasn't because I had a great vision for mission, a great vision for giving my life away when I did that. It was simply kind of a, it was a compulsion. There was something that said, you know what, that kind of sounds like fun. I didn't leave Seattle with this refined sense of this is what I'm called to do, how I'm called to give my life away. It was actually on the trip, in that experience, through teammates, through missionaries that were ministering to me, that that vision began to get a little bit clearer. It started to become more refined. As a university student again, I remember sitting in the pews here, and our pastor emeritus, Earl Palmer, uh, posed the question, if you're feeling crummy about yourself, what should you do? He said, you should go do something for someone else and see how that makes you feel. Now, there are a lot of good reasons, and I would argue at times healthy, where that type of introspection is, is necessary and a good thing. But we are reminded that it's never just about us. That developing that vision gives us the opportunity to look outward. And so uh, this morning, as we become a community that is seeking to press on, the invitation for us is to not turn away from the mess. Maybe we actually turn our eyes back towards it. And as we do so, uh, we become more familiar with the good news, with the cross of Jesus Christ that has said, you are renewed, you are forgiven, and matters between us have been settled. And so now... Go and settle matters with each other. Share that good news. And that's precisely what we're seeking to become more as a community, a community that shares hope in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that you animate us by your Holy Spirit, that when we want to quit, you keep us going. We pray this morning that you would continue to to give us good vision, to hone and refine our eyes that we may see uh, what it is that you have in mind for us, that we would see what you would want us to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call two zero six five two four seven three zero one, extension one one seven.